This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And hey, everybody. Just uh, coming back to you to talk about films and other things to Danielle. What's been going on with you? Oh, so much. So much. Um, what can I talk about that's going on with me? This, maybe that's what I talk about. It's kind of weird that like there's so much going on with me but I can't mention any of it because oh. it would ruin all of the buildup for the show I'm making. So like well, work is popping, but I can't say anything about it because I, I want everything to be a surprise. Well, I got to tell you, our episode last week was heavily redacted. <laughs> <laughs> because we mentioned a, some folks that we're not allowed to talk about. Um, and it was, there was a lot of beeps. Which I, I thought was very amusing. I loved it, but... It's very funny, but it's like, you know, it's weird. It's weird to be in a position where I'm like, I'm a goblin in the woods who writes, and now suddenly I'm put in this position where... And I'm a loudmouth, and I can't say shit about fuck. And it's it's a real exercise in being zen that I never wanted or asked for, but now I'm in it. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm in it. But it's kind of cool. Like, I just... I think it's... One thing I can talk about is that it's weird how much I like my job. Like I really, I like it and I'm good at it. And I don't think I've ever felt confidence like this before, but I'm like, no, I got this. Like, I'm good at this. I can do this. Yeah. And it's kind of strange to be like a black woman in charge of something big and be like yeah. so well supported by everyone. And then also be like, I can do this. However, that is quickly undermined by the rest of my life where I'm like, oh, I'm a disaster and I can't do anything. <laughs> So I'm Look, glad I feel that at work because it is the only place I feel it. <laughs> there are two shoes, you know, like I'm just saying it. Like, I mean, a lot of times in life, like something's real good, but then the other shit, the other stuff, it has to fall. So that other shit filled shoe. <laughs> is, yeah. is, that's it, right? Like the other shoe is filled with shit. That's the saying. It's not like that's it's gonna why drop. it falls. Maybe. Yeah, it falls because it's full of shit. Yeah. One thing I do want to talk about is kind of movie related, and it's because of something that you posted a couple of weeks ago on Instagram that I cannot stop thinking about, is Brad Pitt has been doing so much for the promotion of Bullet Train, and you posted something where Entertainment Weekly was like, hey, what's up with these wild outfits and your behavior on the red carpet? And he said, we're all going to die. <laughs> And I couldn't, I can, I have not stopped laughing about that for weeks. I might frame it. I truly, I love that dummy. I can't help it. He's so hilarious right now. Dude, I love that level of misery at that level of the game. I fucking, yeah. I, I'm here for it. I'm like, listen, don't sugarcoat this shit. <laughs> like, we don't need it. 
we don't care. Like, just be honest with us, Brad Pitt. We just tell us if you think the world is absolutely going to implode, and don't be shy. Don't be shy. I mean, he he is a man of the people, and I you can fight me on that. I know he's a bajillionaire. I know he's a movie star. That motherfucker has like Ozarkian misery in his bones. <laughs> And he's like, don't forget where I come from. We are all going to die. P.S. I'm Brad Pitt. We're going to die. I, I just, I cannot stop. Every time I think about it, which is multiple times a day, I just break out into laughter. Now, I got to tell you, I, when I posted that, I, it was it was from a actual reputable source, but yeah. I also <laughs> didn't vet it beyond the headline. I didn't go into the article. So I was just like, this is a zeitgeist right here. This simple screen grab that I'm going to post on my Instagram stories is just, this is all I need. This is all I need to move forward in the day. But I was like, whether or not he later went on to say, but I'm so happy and, and blessed. I am booked and blessed and I cannot think of anything I'd rather do than be a famous movie star. I don't know if he actually went on to say that, but I just like the first part. Trust me, I loved the first part so much that I also did not vet it, which is not like me. Usually if I see something like that, I'll be like, let me go to the link and read it. I loved it so much so fast that I was like, this is all I need. This is now how I will think of Brad Pitt for the rest of my life is he is the I'm going to wear lime green fucking leisure suits on the red carpet because we're all going to die. Look, sometimes the message arrives in a very quick an effervescent way it does like sometimes you don't need the rest of it like the rest of it will just get you in this like contextual black hole you know what i mean sometimes it's like the essence the beauty of a thing is just like a snapshot of it and then you just move on to the next instagram story of someone falling down a flight of stairs set to a jodeci song or whatever i don't know or an otter like playing with a ball of yarn or my favorite tiktok that i've seen recently is um a group of friends who were all timing themselves to see if they could outrun michael myers and it just makes me laugh so goddamn much it's like them just walking and running really fast to their apartment and then somebody's like wearing a michael myers mask being like or just not wearing the mask but just kind of like pretending to be michael myers it is hilarious wait a minute do we have we clocked Michael Myers to even know that information? Well, this is the thing. I don't know if they've clocked it so much as it's like, we know he's a slow motherfucker. Like, Michael Myers is not bur- bursting out into a run to kill anybody. So I think they just kind of kept the pace. But I would like, to, I'm sure somebody out there who is a nerd in the way that I love has has timed it, has clocked it. And we should look that up. Okay, who is the slowest horror movie villain then? The Ring? Because that chick takes like 900 years to crawl out of that fucking well and crawl out of a TV and crawl into your life. It's got to be the ring. <laughs> you know, you know, my class of horror movie villains are the jumpers, <laughs> the ones that just jump onto your body. They don't, you know, really do a lot of running, but they're just like jumping like Chucky and Bilal and um, fucking Jeepers Creepers will yeah. swoop. I love a jumper and a swooper where he's like, I'm coming from the sky to just kill you and you cannot yeah. do anything about it. I love a jumper, but I love I love a slow roll. I love someone who's not in a rush to kill you because they know they're going to get you. Yeah, it's kind of a, that's the, the zombie sort of model. Um, 
where you're just waiting. It's psychological warfare. It's like, not only are you going to die, I'm going to make you so sad about it beforehand because there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've seen the Halloween movies, even the new ones. Mm-hmm. I guess I do think that, I mean, Michael Myers, here, here's the thing about him. He's like a walker, mm. a menacing walker. Maybe we, we say that about him. But he also has long legs. He's big. So I'm like, he could probably cover a lot of ground, even if he is slow. Maybe right. this might be why I really love Michael Myers' presence because I also have long legs and I'm very slow. And I like to feel like I could kill someone if I needed to. So mm-hmm. I just appreciate him bringing that layer to the genre. Um, also, just imagine him anywhere in any scenario. Like imagine someone walking that slow at the track or at the gym. Imagine someone at the gym on a treadmill walking that one mile per hour in that getup it's te- he made walking terrifying. Do you know how fucking scary you have to be to make walking terrifying? Yeah. Him and uh, Robert Patrick as the uh, T-1000, before he started running with the scissor yeah. hands, like he when he started going, he started at a walk, you know. Hell yeah. Robert um, Patrick in general, because same in the faculty. Yeah. He wasn't running it. He was he ran, he did that one creepy run where he's like, I'm gonna get you to the t- to the principal. Yeah. But otherwise, he just stood around and just like lazily walked. Yeah. You know who else is not a runner and is a walker, but or maybe op- occupies a space in between? It's kind of this like a drunk walk is Leatherface. Oh, yeah. He's, he's an ambler. And <laughs> he's an ambler. Leatherface is an ambler. Where he's like doing a little dance. He's having fun with it. <laughs> Because, gotta be honest, at the end of the the original Texas Chainsaw, you know, in the back of the truck and he's coming down the street. Yeah. I'm like, if you took the chainsaw out of his hand, he's not that big of a threat. Really. You can take him. Really, it's just that he's big and tall and he has this chainsaw, which he's able to like maneuver. He's got a couple feet in front of him. But if you were just to put him on a treadmill... Okay, he's an ambler. Yeah, I don't even know if he could walk in a straight line, to be honest. I'm no, he's really he's sure. a country walker. He's like, I'm walking up a path to a hill because I have to be able to meander. I have to like, oh, look, there's a bug. Or like, oh, like he's he's like distracted by the shiny object, dude. Yes. But I love that if you if you take if you take the chainsaw out of the Texas chainsaw massacre, you take it out of Leatherface's hand, he's just like a wacky guy doing a dance on a sidewalk. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look, I what it, if we're going to talk about gyms, I definitely think Michael Myers and Leatherface, they're probably the, you know, they're probably benching pretty heavy. They're they're yeah. they feel very strong and big and maybe mm-hmm. are like a power lifter type. But then you got the runners who are a little bit more I don't know, they're they're faster but they don't have the menacing, you know, body structure. Right. Like maybe and like a Freddy or something. Run, runners are not as scary to me yes. because I'm like, you're giving me no time to think about my own death. So I'm just going to have to take it. And yeah. running in general, it's not scary to me. It's annoying to me. Like when I see people running, I'm like, where the fuck are you going? Like, what? You're going to do that to your knees yeah, just so you can lower that A1C? Like, what the fuck are you doing? 
Like, running is so annoying to me that if I see someone running at me with a weapon, I'm like, just fucking take me out. I'm annoyed. I don't want to deal yeah. with this. But Freddy brings up an interesting point. Because mm, mm. Freddy is in a league of his own. Freddy at the gym, he will go to a silver sneakers class because he's got to get those jokes in. <laughs> Absolutely. They are going to Applebee's together after the class. Sharing we that bloomin' onion. Yes. And then I think he's also a lifter. But I don't think he's benching heavy. I feel like he's just like lifting to get attention and like he he always is in it for the joke. Like oh, yeah. Freddie is in it for the joke. So he's on the tra- he's doing the treadmill like an OK Go video. Yes. He's like one of these dudes you see on fitness TikTok who is riding a stationary bicycle and has like snow chains around mm. his neck that are hooked up to two other stationary bicycles. And he's like, yeah, check it out, motherfuckers. Look at the strength. He is one of those motherfuckers at Planet Fitness who is doing too much and the most at the same time. Yeah. I swear to God, I saw a TikTok. I saw a video. A dude had a barbell across his back. Heavy. Like a couple hundred pounds across his neck. Was lifting with his hands. And there was something attached to the bar he was lifting. And of course, he fell right the fuck over. How are you going to do this in a Planet Fitness? It's $10 a month. We just want to get our fucking treadmill on. Like, what are you doing? Why are people always like, I'm going to hold a barbell and I'm going to lift a bike and I'm going to save a baby and I'm going to lift a car with my toe. And I'm like, can we not just like exercise to feel better and not just like look crazy? Like, what is going on? Dude. Truly one of my favorite things <laughs> is watching videos of people doing weird exercises at the gym, like just absurd oh exercises. And my cousin, Christy, who, you know, she's really into fitness and working out and stuff. We pass videos back and forth to each other. And it is like literally the joy of my day. Like if I, if I open up an Instagram story that she sent me and it's like a dude with like four benches uh, uh, like on top of his pelvis and he's trying ah! to do these like glute, you know, pelvis thrusts on the back of a bench or something. I'm like, Ooh. bring it. Like so, so dumb. And there is such an easier way to work that muscle than yes. you just like being a dumbass. Like first I and foremost, it. add me to that group chat. Second of all, what is the <laughs> goal of those exercises? That is what confounds me the most, which makes me laugh the most is like, what is the goal of this? You think your ass is going to get fatter faster? Like, do you think you're going to have the strongest back in the world? Like, what is the ultimate goal? Because the human body can only take so much. Well, and it's, it's a puzzle to me because like I, I've been on this uh, Jimmy Kahn deadlift journey since mm-hmm. the misery episode came out, mm-hmm. <laughs> which now seems like a hundred fucking years ago. <laughs> that Was um, that this year? That was this year. Was it really? No, it was late last year. Okay. To be fair. To be fair. Jesus Christ. I mean, the, ma- the poor man is dead now. So that's how much time that's, has passed. That's we've- how long we've been doing this. He was like, I would rather croak. Yes, I mean that, these two to be able to lift me. That joke is so old now, but it is still so amusing to me that we kind of took it into this direction. And it is the center of my fitness revival, which is so insane to think about it. Like I would have continued to sit on my couch eating 
fucking bonbons if it hadn't been for us watching Misery and being like, oh, Kathy Bates fucking threw that dude across the room. That's pretty tight. You want to do that? Sure. Rest in peace, King. Thank you for bringing my A1C down. I keep making A1C jokes because I just went to the doctor. (laughs) And they're like, you are pre-diabetic. And I'm like, watch this. I'm not going to be anymore. (laughs) I was like thinking that it was probably some of the commercials you watched during your fucking three hour power hour of the Today Show. Also part of that. I don't know if I can sing the commercial legally if we have the clearance for it, but I can sing every fucking diabetes medication commercial. 100%. Oh, and the other thing that I've been learning a lot about, I don't know if you knew this, but if you lived at Camp Lejeune from the years of 19, like there's like a whole decade or two where they're like, if you lived at Camp Lejeune, you might have been exposed to um, some pretty horrible shit in the water. There was a ground leak and you drank it and you bathed in it and you gave it to your kids. So give us a call. And I'm like, okay. And now I get ads for Camp Lejeune. And I'm like, I did not live there. I just watched TV with my grandma. But look, cut to 25 years from now. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a commercial for literally every th- place we've ever been. That's exactly. going to have a fucking lawyer's office class action lawsuit phone number absolutely you think this train is stopping it's just getting warmed up they'll be like have you ever been to chuck e cheese have you ever been to domino's did you ever look at the sign for a pizza hut (laughs) like your guess what your eyeballs are crusting over and falling out because you looked at a pizza hut sign it's just getting going listen i'm telling you it's gonna be a thing where it's like were you at Planet Fitness next to Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? You may be entitled to financial compensation. We are going to be entitled to so much financial comp- compensation that the the earnings are going to be like a pennies on the dollar. And we're going to have to have 14 lawsuits going just to survive. This is where America's headed. Listen, we are going to be like the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> But we will be paid. <gasps> Imagine a paid... T- okay, this is this is what we pitch as our reboot for the Toxic Avenger. Toxic <laughs> Avenger wins a class action lawsuit. He's paid. He's got rims. <laughs> he's got he's got a light a lightscape in every room where he walks through, and it's like the light changes with his mood, and he's chill as fuck. There's no more avenging because he got paid. This is going to be another one of these wild episodes, folks. I'm going to say. already predicted it. I cannot (laughs) even keep track of all the shit we just talked about in the last 20 minutes. (laughs) I cannot even. If you put me under a hot iron right now, we're like, what did you just talk about for 20 minutes? I could not tell you. I know that we talked about some some horror movie villains. I read a menu from 1987 and we came up with the Toxic Avenger winning a class action lawsuit and somebody doing a bench press with four benches on their crotch. What is happening? We better talk about these movies before Leave we can no bust. stone unturned. And we got Brad Pitt in there. Like, look, it's one of those days. It's one of those days. Anything can happen in the summer because I'm in this closet bacon and my brain is not responding. With the spirit of this fucking intro that we just did <laughs> we can now break you off some of that into the theme for the week oh lord should we talk about the theme 
I think I think we should, and I think you got to give it to him. Okay, I'll I'll do so. So the theme for this week is called "What Happened Last Night." <laughs> And if you guessed that the theme was about wild bars, you are correct. You are absolutely correct. And these are these are the wildest bars that I think can possibly exist. And we'll get into it in each of our films. Yeah. But the stuff that's going down in these bars really doesn't leave a lot of room for imagination for how depraved humanity can get. Yeah. I want to ask you right off the bat... Do you have, I mean, what is the wildest bar you ever went to? Oh boy. Well, it's, it's, it depends. The wildest bar I ever went to that was wild because I acted wild mm. was in downtown New York City. I cannot even tell you the name of it because I was that drunk. And we are talking like dancing on the bar, dancing on the table, shots all around, time of my fucking life. Like awesome. bar hopping and just going around Alphabet City and just like bar hopping in the Lower East Side. And just, we were all over the place. I got wrecked and had a great time. The wildest bar I've ever physically been to is Darwin's Theory in Anchorage, Alaska. Oh my God. That sounds intense already. Oh yeah. It's a great bar. It is yet again another place where I used to act up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I don't drink a lot anymore because I love acting up. You get yeah. some booze in me and I'm like, Triple Gemini, let's crank this shit up. Let's have a night to remember. Yeah. Darwin's Theory is a place where if you flash them and they take a Polaroid, you can drink for free. So of course wow. I did that. <laughs> of course. Of course there are pictures of my tits somewhere in a bar in Alaska. Of course. Exactly. And please find them and send that picture to me because they do not look like that anymore. <laughs> I would like to have the memory. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to pull a faded, a sun faded, curled up four by six photograph stapled to a bar and put it in an envelope. <laughs> Just casually to mail it box. to your P.O. box. <laughs> if you get a picture of my tits in the P.O. box, let me know immediately. <laughs> I will do. But it was also a wild bar because it was one of those bars where anything could happen on any night of the week. Like you could go in on a Tuesday and wake up the next day and be like, the next day and be like, what actually happened? Like, I do have to go to work at nine o'clock. Yeah. Why am I wrecked and coming in at five o'clock? Because it was just a fun, cool place to be. Um, Lots of fishermen hung out. Lots of like locals hung out there. It was goddamn blast. It was a goddamn blast. But what about you? Now, I'm thinking Atlanta, but I'm also thinking everywhere else you've ever been. (laughs) wildest bar experience well that's hard because i've been to so many weird southern bars (laughs) like so many weird southern bars there there was a there is a a great fucking bar and i'm gonna have to make sure i know where this is i don't want to i sometimes i say memphis and then i mean nashville (laughs) sometimes i say the opposite um, there are some great bars in Memphis, too, and Nashville. I have truly ripped it up across this country. Some of the best bars that I ever that I ever went to were were predictably in places like New Orleans. Mm-hmm. There's this great bar called the Lamplighter Lounge in Memphis, which is 
truly, it was stunning. So it's places like that to me that I have the best fun in. But then mm-hmm. I worked at this kind of legendary dive bar in Atlanta in the late 90s. And I didn't even work there during its heyday. Like its heyday <laughs> were was just before my time. But it was this place called Dottie's. And it was in this, at the time, a real rough part of town. <laughs> And it was just like the lamplighter. It was like, at the time, I was really young. I probably not, was I 21? Did I work there before I was 21? That would have been weird. Um, (laughs) That would be incredible. I might have been like 21, 22. It was some, it was hairy. It was real hairy. Getting to the car and out of the car and, you know, like real bad squirrely parking lot. But but some of the best depraved fun fucked up times happened at that bar yes um when my friends would just come to see me work and stuff so i don't know i feel like between alaska and the south oh yeah we have you and i have probably seen a lot more than maybe people who haven't been in those places we have covered some ground, that is for sure. There is absolutely a bar if you're ever driving through Alaska or driving to Alaska. I'm just going to say there's a bar where in a town where you can um, do a shot with a human toe in it. And if you let the toe touch your lips, you get to drink for free for the night. <laughs> um, I will also, I will also, and there are patrons who donate their toes after death. Like, you could take my big toe. I want to be part of the legend. There's also a bar. I also have, and I wonder if you have this too, like, where my local bar at one point wasn't wild, but again, I made it wild. Sure. So, like, when I lived in New York City and I lived in Queens, there's a bar called the Irish Rover. I lived two blocks away from it. Perfect stumbling distance. And the Irish Rover was two blocks away from my house one way. Two blocks away from my house the other way was the goddamn Neptune Diner. So I could genuinely get drunk and stumble down for a grilled cheese or an omelet or some toast or whatever, and then stumble my way back home. Yeah. Very dangerous, delightful. And I ripped it up in that fucking bar. It was one of those bars where they had, I had so much fun there and they had so much fun when I was there that I drank for free all the time. Like just Mm. shots and just like, here's, have have a Guinness, have some more shots, like just all the time. See, you're a legend, and that's what I love. I'm not a legend, so I look to legends in order to have a good time, because I swear to God, it's like people like you, people like my friend Ben Sheaves, who I think I've mentioned on this podcast. I'm going to probably mention him during your movie, because yeah. he's a big fucking Roadhouse fan. But um, oh my God. yeah, people who come into an establishment and just like really like light it up. You know what I mean? And that's, I look to those people because if it was left to me, I would just probably have a few beers and sit there and play the jukebox, maybe play some pool, but I wouldn't like get it going. I would just be like, I'm so much of a, you know, like, what's the vibe? Let me maintain the vibe. Like you're, you're the opposite of me. And like, I, I was always too. Now, I don't know if this was something that you felt sometimes when maybe when you were in rural Alaska going to bars with toes with <laughs> several toes in the drinks but like in the south I always felt like oh I, if I'm coming into like a real like southern redneck bar 
I ha- I always felt this urge to sort of like show the people that I'm like not there to be like I'm not some country politan as we might right. talk about in my in my film. Um, <laughs> so w- the best way to establish that is to go to the fucking jukebox and play a song that they love. Mm. And for me, for me, the song that did that was Lay Down Sally by Eric Clapton. Lay down Sally, I'm resting in my arms. Don't you think you want someone to talk to? Holy shit. And you say you're not a legend? You're saying you're not a legend. You that's walk into a legend. bar and play that's that song. That's me just, I can be, I'm, I'm okay. Like, we're cool. Like, we're, like, I'm, I'm here. I'm on your turf. Like, Either that or something from the brand new man album by Brooks and Dunn. Oh, get down, turn around, go to town, boots, boots, boots. Something in that area. <laughs> but if I had had more confidence, I would just be like, yo, what's up? And like start pounding drinks. And then you become the legend. Like setting the music choice is sort of like, okay, that's fine. That's so I just don't get my ass kicked. But you, it sounds I like walk you. In and I'm like, who wants a shot? Whoever wants one gets one. Yeah. And you two should be making out. Like, I've put couples together. I have absolutely told people to kiss. Be like, why aren't you making out? Come on. Ah! I love that. And then they will. I get it. I'm always friendly with the bartender because I'm like, your job is hard. It's harder than people think. I will tip that bartender like a motherfucker. But we also, I'm like, how's your life? What's up? You got a family. What's going on? Like, just talk to them like they're goddamn human beings because they are. Yeah. And I don't offer them drinks because no one, no, no bartender worth their goddamn weight is drinking on the job. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not, don't give them shots. They don't want, they want your fucking money and your respect. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't give them shots. And yeah, I just make it real easy. Just be like, I'm going to sit down here and be cool. You guys should be making out. Maybe we dance a little bit. Maybe I throw my bra on the ceiling. I don't know. Depends on how many goddamn shots I've had, but I will bring the goddamn party every time and sometimes that party is, is a small part party it's a quiet party but i am always going to have a good i'm gonna have a good time i'm gonna have a good time and i want people to laugh and i want people to have a good time around me and i'll just i gotta bring it i gotta do it you're like a fucking jägermeister cupid or something i love that <laughs> shit like i cause see that's the thing is that i don't have that i don't have that within me first of all the fact is you are getting free drinks is already that's already legend status whereas like i said it's very easy to put on you know boot scoop boogie (laughs) like no everyone's like duh we listen to this all the time i'm glad that you came in here and played this song so that you know you can be here but you're not making people make out you're not creating marriages in this bar (laughs) you you can't ask for permission you just gotta be like look this is what's happening and you're either in or out and I respect your your decision to be out but I came here to be this person and yes. that is who I am. I went to New Orleans. Oh my God. This is, I probably should not even be telling this, this story in a public forum but Which I'm means gonna. you should. Yes. I'm gonna do it. Um, went to New Orleans with a friend of mine. We were recording a travel podcast and um, went out to a club and <laughs> got rip shit like new orleans you can get so drunk so fast and i don't really drink anymore so i got real drunk real fast Mm -hmm. but it was a fucking part it was one of those parties where like the brass band was walking through the crowd it was a party for everybody was having a party i'm out on the balcony looking down on the street i made friends with people on the balcony like where you from what's going on 
we made buds. And this is the local bar. And I look down and I'm like, all right, two people on the street. And I'm like, you guys are cute. You should be kissing. <laughs> and sometimes that's all the nudge you goddamn need. And then they they kissed. They came into the bar and bought me drinks. And he was like, I've had a crush on her forever. Like, I didn't <gasps> even know that was going to happen. And I was like, sometimes you just need the nudge from a drunk black lady with freckles on a fucking balcony. Oh, then, my God. The same thing. I'm inside. I'm dancing. You know me. I don't I don't have that kind of joy in my heart. I don't dance. That's not the kind of joy that I have within me. I was mm-hmm. dancing. That's how drunk I was. Truly Amazing. dancing. Having a great time. See another couple. Another Just a guy talking to a girl. And I was like, she is so cute. Why are you not making out? I'm like, I see you trying to make out. Just make out with each other. And then she turned around and kissed me. And he <gasps> wanted to fight me. He was like, I see your game. I see what you're doing. And I'm like, I am not doing anything, sir. I am drunk. I'm a drunk Cupid. What do you want from me? Yes. What do you want from me? She didn't want to make out with you. Sorry. You were clearly barking off the wrong tree. <laughs> wow. But he was like, I see your game. And I'm like, I'm going to keep d- drinking and trying to set people up. Yeah. And uh, so sorry that didn't work out for you, sir. Well, that was my next question is that like, okay, so yes, the mirth of, of, of you coming through here and like creating all of these love connections. But have you ever started a fight in a bar? I've never intentionally started a fight in a bar, to my knowledge. Sure. That sure. was the closest I came. That was the closest I came to me being in a fight and starting yes. a fight. Um, after watching these movies, I kind of feel like I want to start a bar fight before I die. <laughs> I kind of do. Let me tell you, you are going first this week. <laughs> And it has been a hot, hot minute since I've seen Roadhouse, okay? And I just have to tell you, I cannot believe the fighting in this bar. Like, <laughs> it is, it's basically like this bar exists in this like alternate reality where people literally just kick each other's ass for like the Absolutely. entire time that they're there. After you know? they go there to kick ass. It's so fucking funny. Well, I'm going to get into it because I have not seen this movie in goddamn ages. Yeah. Much like a lot of the movies I haven't seen in a long time. Like, for example, Three Men and a Baby, where I forgot heroin was a big part of the plot. <laughs> I forgot there was a whole plot to this film. Uh, uh, we'll get into it. But I, I basically forgot there was a thick vein in this film that I forgot about. And when I sure. realized what was happening, I could not stop laughing. Um, <laughs> my movie was released in 1989. It was directed by Rowdy Harrington. The screenplay is by R. Lance Hill and Hillary Henkin. And my movie is Roadhouse. If somebody gets in your face. I want you to be nice. Don't, don't be rude. Ask him to walk, but be nice. Help this gentleman to the door. Until it's time to not be nice. Fucking Roadhouse, dude. Fucking Roadhouse. Look, let me get my one sentence out of the way real quick, because we have so much to say. My one sentence synopsis of this film is, in a world where the bouncer is king, Dalton rules them all. (laughs) Quite simply, the best one sentence synopsis you could ever do for this film. (laughs) It is. Now, look, we cannot get into the question of does this film hold up? Is it good? We cannot get into that. This film is fucking iconic (laughs) for reasons that transcend taste and enjoyment. (laughs) A hundred percent. I like I have to say, like I just mentioned my friend Ben. So he 
in his letterbox review of this film, <laughs> he he wrote, "This movie is proof that straight men understand camp." <laughs> Listen, I am loving the aspect of this podcast where we are finding ways to make everything queer canon. <laughs> but I think in that way where it's like, this film is absolutely so over the top. Yes. That it is on par with like these movies that get talked about as these like big camp classes like showgirls or something you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. to me this is a fucking guy's showgirls it this is, a is guy's like showgirls. what a straight man like will go to the movies and laugh and scream with his friends too you know what i mean this is their rocky horror yes you have never gone to a showing of Roadhouse and not seen people like throwing fucking toilet paper at the screen and doing the <laughs> lines and like <laughs> They're in character. Like, this is absolutely... I love that description of it being straight men's camp. Yeah, it's so over the top. So I'm just... I'm Basically, we're agreeing with you with what oh, you yeah. just said. It's it's so crazy. And it comes in so hot. So the top... So just to understand a little bit about what this movie is, Patrick Swayze, rest in peace king, plays yes. Dalton, who is not just a bouncer... He is the most well-known bouncer in the United States. Because in this world, that is a thing. I just snorted. Because it's that laughable. That is the premise of this fucking movie. He is so good at bouncing, or cooling as he calls it. He's the cooler, you're the bouncer. Yeah. Much like he's the DJ, I'm the rapper. Yes. He's so fucking good at it that people search the country for him. So they can hire him to clean up their bars. It is the most absurd premise and somehow it goddamn works. It fucking works. Yeah, there, there's a moment where you're like, is it possible that they could find an even one other dude that doesn't swing for the fences when it comes to this fucking bouncing shit? And you're like, no. I mean, no. when you look at Patrick Swayze, he just like kind of walks in with this confidence and you're like, He's probably the only one. This is why he's so, you know, he's so well-known. And people would kill to work with him. (laughs) Oh, and don't forget, in this movie, they find two. And those two are best friends. Because you have to be when you are the most famous bouncers in America. (laughs) You either have to be best friends or you have to fight to the goddamn death. And they chose friendship. And we're all the better for it. And Patrick (laughs) Swayze, look, he is, when we first meet him, he's like, I'm going to feather the hair. I'm going to put on a pair of Z Cavaricis. Mm. I'm going to wear a loafer. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not getting into this shit with y'all. I'm going to tell you to take it outside. I'm going to trick you into going outside thinking you're going to fight me. And then I'm going to walk away. And he's like (laughs) working at this very fancy club that looks so nice. And he's driving a beater car. And you're like, I don't understand this dude's life. I don't understand. Kevin Teague, who, who, is a very well-known actor. You will know his face if you look him up. Comes in. He always plays a bad guy. And this one, miraculously, he's not. Because there are so many weird bad guys to come. That yeah. They're like, let's just let him play it cool this time. And he is like, look, Dalton, I bought this bar. It's called the Double Deuce. <laughs> We're not even going to get into the fucking quadruple meaning of that one. It's called the Double Deuce. Danielle Henderson can't go there because she will make shit jokes all night. 
Yes. <laughs> and it's a piece of shit place. I would like for it to be a nice place. Why don't you come and clean it up for me? And Dalton, who was in the middle of stitching up his own wound. <laughs> wow. This is a man who carries around his medical records because he sliced up so much in the course of this job. That and yeah. he moves around so much that he's like, I'll just carry these with me in a little briefcase so you know what's up. And they they show him at one point, like he's showing a doctor his files. And it's one of those um like the things they show you in a morgue where it's got like the front of the person, the back of the person, like the little cartoon outline, and it's just yeah. got slices everywhere. <laughs> like this fucking wound, 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 wound. Like this dude, there's not an inch of his body that hasn't been damaged in this job, and he still does it. And he's like playing it real cool. He's stitching up his own arm and he's like, I'll come do it for like a $5,000 advance and 500 bucks a day, which in 19 fucking 89, he might've well been being like, I'll, I'll do it for a trip to the moon and a rocket to te- like to, a fucking Tesla rocket and a fleet of Rolls Royces. Like he's getting paid to do oh, yeah, this He's job. like a fucking pharma bro with those wages. Absolutely. He is absolutely. And so he's like, I'll do it. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, let me give you a plane ticket. He's like, no. I don't fly. And this is when we start to learn Dalton's got some rules. And as we've discussed in our Jason Statham episode, there's nothing I love more than a motherfucker who makes rules for how he's going to do a job. Love a guy with three simple rules. Three simple rules. rules. (laughs) He's got three simple rules for his work. His one simple rule for his life is I do not fly. And it's all cool. So he goes... We learn that he he intentionally buys these beater cars because they are constantly under attack from the patrons he throws out of these bars. There is a scene in this Wild. movie where he he comes out of the bar and there's a stop sign through his window. Oh, yeah. It's fucking beautiful. But he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he shows up in this small one-horse town. And this bar is off the fucking wall. <laughs> okay, here, here's what this bar has. This bar has an owner who wears bolo ties which we'll get to mm-hmm. um it has the jeff healy angel eyes band playing behind chicken wire you have <laughs> dream drug- <laughs> you have drugs being sold drugs being done fights in literally every corner of the room and like men passed out on the stairs and most terrifying of all If you look closely at this opening scene, there is a man in high top Nikes and a pair of jeans shirtless dancing in the pit. And I don't know why he freaks me out the most, (laughs) but that dude is wily and I don't trust him. (laughs) And he's getting the fuck down. He's getting down in an outfit that you would see in like a 1980s rap movie, but he's in like a Southern pit of a dive bar. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. He was the one that had to come on and play Lay Down Sally. So he wouldn't get a fucking cocktail table thrown at his head. Absolutely. I mean, this bar, John Doe from The Incredible Band X is the bartender and he's skimming tips. There's like, he Dalton comes in and he's just playing it real cool. He's like, I'm just going to sip my coffee and watch how shit goes down here so I know what I got to fix. Yep. And he's watching Mayhem and the bouncers are in on it. The bouncers are in on it. They're like, let's let these underage people in. Let's fuck these people in the fucking storeroom. (laughs) Like, they're just like, it is a ball for them, too. It's mayhem everywhere. People are dancing on tables. I cannot. We we meet the world's weirdest pimp. This guy (laughs) who's like, 
Oh, you like my girlfriend's boobs? You can kiss them for $10 each. What is happening in this bar? It's it's so like imagine if you've not seen this movie. Imagine like the most over the top macho ridiculous late 80s bullshit you can think of and then just wad it up in a ball and throw it in the garbage can because it's worse. It's like <laughs> it's like an Andy Sedaris movie if they're if the focus was on the dudes and not the women, if the women were not the private investigators and the men were or something, it's so crazy. Like it's just, it's just scenario after scenario of just like the most insane shit. Oh, this is, this is a bar where people are getting windmilled. Do you know how intensely rowdy a bar has to be for you to start seeing wrestling moves inside of it? People are getting windmilled over the head windmilled. It's blowing my mind. It blows yeah. my mind. It's total mayhem. Yeah. And all Dalton says is like, yeah, I can, I can clean this up. Like, I, I got this. I got this. He, and he's cool about it. And he comes, this is where we also learn that like, there's a legend that precedes Dalton. So we learn from like the servers and as the word starts getting around, like, oh my God, that's Dalton. Dalton is legendary because apparently in the vein of John Wick, he killed a guy once. He ripped his throat out with his bare hands. And let me tell you, we will see that move later in this movie. <laughs> Chekhov's gun is popping in this fucking movie. Absolutely. He rips a man's throat out. <laughs> and I'm like, again, weirdest possible way to kill someone. And Roadhouse is going there. For sure. For sure. But so this whole premise is that he's there to clean up this bar. It's an absolute shithole. Um, and he's also falling in love because when he goes to the to the hospital to get all stitched up after a particularly bad slice that he couldn't do himself, he had to get it stapled. He meets Doc, who's played by Kelly Lynch. And Doc is from this town, has moved away, has come back and is just in in into this shit. Like when she comes to the bar to meet him for like a pseudo date, he's brawling outside like he's rolling outside the door already fighting someone and she's like hey and she's like dressed like a picnic table and she's just like hey girl <laughs> she's into it and dalton's like hey cool why don't you come to my um my barn he actually like he he gets to town he checks out the scene and then he gets a place to live it's in his it's an apartment that's basically in the hayloft of a barn and it looks kind of like an Airbnb, like, influencer palace with, like, <laughs> yeah. decorative hay and, like, it looks very nice. But it has, like, no phone and no TV and it's, like, in the woods. And I swear to fucking God, when he pulled up, I'm like, is he rolling up to my house? Like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> like, he basically rolls up to my house in the middle of nowhere and is like, I will take this room, old man, farmer, because I'm cool and mysterious. And by the way, I have a college degree in philosophy. <laughs> okay. How weird can this guy get? This is the part that really puts it over the top, that brings it to the camp level for Thank me. you. Is Dalton has like a PhD in philosophy <laughs> or something. But and he fights with his body for a living. Yes. So he's he's walking around, going from town to town, breaking up fights with his zen fucking chill but secretly is this genius that went to like nyu or something or he like yeah. was he he was 
Like, d- am I wrong that he went to NYU? I think no, I might you're be. Absolutely, but- you're absolutely correct. And Millie, what's what? the problem? What's the problem? He's a philosophical Tai Chi doing professional, very famous bouncer. But I, but in the con, okay, you're a writer. Explain it to me. In oh, the context of the story, did he need to have a PhD? Like, did that somehow make his fucking like three simple rules shit more legitimate by him no. just being like, well, the reason why I don't clobber men to death is because I have a PhD from NYU. No, absolutely not. There's no narrative reason for him to have that. And <laughs> let me tell you, his let me tell you why. First of all, his three simple rules are one, never underestimate your opponent. Two, take it outside. And three, be nice. Be nice. They insult you, be nice. Take it outside. Be nice. These three rules are as basic as possible. And <laughs> if you look at the the story, he actually did kill a guy in self-defense in like memphis or something because he was sleeping with a married woman and her husband found out yeah and he went to like jail for it for a little while and he hates talking about it and it's like a real dark mark on his heart so philosophy doesn't solve any of that shit all it does is explain why he's next to a swamp doing tai chi (laughs) yeah i think i think the phd storyline is is serving simply two purposes number one that he's Practices nonviolence to the best of his ability when doing his bouncer job. Oh, except when he absolutely and immediately breaks that rule. And exactly. Inside which he, all which the he, time. You know, exactly. Which he breaks pretty much immediately after he says it. And that he gets to date a doctor. Or I don't know. I was like sitting here going, would that doctor not date him if he didn't have college? Thank a, you. Bare minimum, an undergrad degree. I don't know. What is the point of the yeah. PhD thing? So she's a snob. And look, we're probably going to find out because as we know, in the last couple of weeks, it has been announced that Amazon is redoing Roadhouse and Jake Gyllenhaal is going to star in it. And I guarantee he's not playing some fucking dummy in the woods. He's going to have like a rocket science degree and he chooses to bounce for like to balance out his fucking chi or some shit. Listen, if you, if the reason why we had to redact all that stuff in the last episode and the reason why you can't talk about things in this episode is because you are secretly working on the Roadhouse remake for Amazon, we are ending this friendship. We are ending it if you haven't told me this information. I would truly risk losing my job before I held that information from you. (laughs) Well, you're telling me that they're going to carry over the PhD storyline. Oh, of course. Do you think Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be just just a bouncer? Oh, my God. He's going to be like, I'm a bouncer from New York, and I don't want to be doing this. I'm just so good at it. Look, far be it for me to to say that you couldn't be a PhD candidate while being a bouncer. I mean, I fucking go on Wikipedia. I found out that the Pope was a bouncer. Okay, Uh, this is my absolute favorite piece of research that you have ever done for this podcast. We can end the podcast right now. I'm I'm so satisfied. Please tell this story. Well, as I do, I went down like a research hole about Roadhouse. And then I started thinking about the concept of famous bouncers. (laughs) Like, I'm like, is there a list of legendary bouncers that I don't know about? Like, where are they getting this sort of absurd storyline from? And then it showed up a Wikipedia article about famous bouncers. And 
the first one was that the pope the current pope <laughs> of the catholic church was a bouncer before he became a pope every bit of information i get about this dude is more wild than the last <laughs> i don't know anything about popes i know so much about this dude because he every bit of information is like so confounding to me <laughs> I mean, it's it's wild. I'm just saying. I mean, like, I've, I'm a lapsed Catholic, but even I have to pause to be like, oh, the Pope was a bouncer. Huh. <laughs> I guess that's cool. This is also the title of this episode, The Pope Was a Bouncer. <laughs> Get right into it. The Pope Was a Bouncer. No, duh, huh? I oh, my God. fucking love this PhD motherfucking Dalton... I, I love that the, they're trying so hard to set up this dichotomy um, that he is worthy of a doctor. Like you said, is that why they did it or yeah. what? I don't know. But he is out here living his life, cleaning up this bar, pissing off everyone in town because he's like, I will not tolerate riffraff. Yeah. Which is also the tattoo I have right above my vagina. Will not tolerate your <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> Speaking of, um, there seems to be a lot of like male, like the male pubic area sh- shots. Oh yeah, in this like film. that D'Angelo area. <laughs> what is the a male fupa? What is that? What is- male? What is that? I mean, called? a question for the ages that only Pope Francis can answer. I bet he knows. He's like, I've been around. I've been around this world, and I, I, I know the answer to what do you call a male fupa <laughs> there was a couple of shots i actually think oh, swayze yeah. wasn't one of them yeah you know why there's a couple of shots so many reasons one dalton never buckles his belt he's like let me just pull the pants on and leave the fly open and the belt hanging <laughs> motherfucker won't do up a belt until it's time to go to work so it's always like here's my pubes the other reason is that <laughs> The second most famous bartender in the world is Sam Elliott. Now, let me tell you a little something about Sam Elliott playing Wade Garrett. He has never been more disgusting and he has <laughs> never been hotter. He is absolutely fucking filthy in this movie. I thought the exact same thing. Like, I was you, like repelled and attracted at the same damn time and I didn't oh, know why. It is horrifyingly gross to know this about myself. He's the kind of dude where, like, if you took a popsicle stick and just ran it down his arm, you would get, like, an inch and a half of dirt. <laughs> like, he's just literally filthy in this movie. And so his hair is the perfect length. He has never been hotter. I, I don't care about his gray hair, big old mustache, Lebowski era. I'm telling you, Roadhouse Elliot is the hottest Elliot. There's so much going the fuck on with him. They have the weirdest relationship and it's not even like, like it's friends, but, and, but he's like got kind of a big brother vibe and he exists purely to give us the backstory of Dalton killing someone. Yeah. It's this mixture of like, uh, there, there's a part of me that's like, okay, so they're longtime friends. They've, they've been through the shit together, mm-hmm. <laughs> AKA being bouncers at really rough bars across America. Maybe he, you know, was like looking after him and his his dog when he was in prison. I don't know. I don't know the relationship. But there are times where it seems very romantic. Now, I'm not saying that 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 straight men who are friends cannot have romance. Do you know what I'm saying? Of I'm course. trying. Okay. Romantic friendship. Romantic friendship. Okay. But it, but there was a time. There there was a moment where. This happens at some point in the film where 
Dalton introduces him to Doc. Mm-hmm. And there was this moment where I'm like, are they all going to fuck? Like, what is going on yes! here? <laughs> this is something I was watching this movie and I'm like, did I block out a threesome? <laughs> it's possible I did. I was like, I don't know, like 12 when I watched this movie for the first time, I could have <laughs> blocked out a threesome. But and it's in the morning. It's like a morning threesome. And, and listen, I'm going to say this right now. I wish straight guys who are friends would fuck sometimes. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I think the world would be better if that happened. <laughs> Put that tattoo right next to the will not accept riffraff tattoo on my body. I just wish straight men who are friends would fuck sometimes. Sage advice from your elders. Get it what? the fuck over with. Just do it. Just try it. Just be, just be a person of the world. Follow Brad Pitt. We're all going to die. Fuck your yes. friends. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying like, you don't have to maybe act on it, but sit in the mindset that maybe Thank once you. you would fuck your friend. I'm just saying it would, if we just kind of gra- gravitated towards that simple mindset, the world would be a kinder, gentler place. Now, having said that, the Sam Elliott character is gross. Like he <laughs> looks gross. He has that creepy vibe. And then he does this thing where he puts it, he, he's got this hair that's like a bob or something. I don't know what this haircut is. Then at one point he puts but it. It's the perfect length. He puts it in a half ponytail. Like, and I swear to God, I looked at that and was like, oh my God, that was my hair in middle school. Like he had my hair in middle school. Middle school, you've come to this podcast with that hair. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right now. I got it right you've now. You've come to this podcast with that hairstyle. <laughs> that is a classic hairstyle. <laughs> And I'm like, what am I doing? I can't decide if I love, like, hate this or love this. What is happening? It's perfect. It's disgusting and perfect, just like Sam Elliott in this movie. It's gross. It's yes. so gross. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't think I can properly express. And I love the costume department. I love the production designer. Whoever yeah. made him this disgusting, hats fucking off. Like, you a- accomplished a miracle. Disgusting yeah. and hot. Yep. Ugh, so gross. Then, look, I can go on about this movie forever. I'll try not to. But you just have to know two things. Two more things. One, huge building explosion at one point. <laughs> he, Dalton makes a friend who also happens to be Doc's uncle, and then they blow up his fucking business. And by they, I mean Ben goddamn Gazzara and his flunkies. Oh, my God. he runs the town. And he is here to take your money. He's getting bribes. And he's here to keep your bars disgusting. And he's here to sell you your liquor. And if you cross him, you're not going to get any liquor and you're not going to be able to have your bar. And we're so sorry about that. And if you double cross him by coming to town, Dalton, and starting to date Doc, who he used to be into, Mm. well, then you're just completely fucked. Even though he's got women all over the place like it's a fucking poison video. Yeah, Ben Gazzara, and I don't know if it's because I watched that movie, The Strange One, about 50 times, Mm. but, like, Ben Gazzara scares the shit out of me normally. Yeah, straight up creep. Straight up creepiness. And in this movie, he is, he is perfect. He is perfect to play this sadistic fucking 
guy that's running town, mm-hmm. ba- doing like these terrible, you know, bribe deals, like setting people's businesses on fire, getting fucking like dudes that look like they're, you know, in the Oak Ridge Boys to come and kill, try to kill people. It's like he's perfect. perfect and this this is also a town where everyone has a huge knife. Like every fight that starts in near or around Dalton, they're like, and here's my knife. And Ben Gazzara is just like, yeah, I don't even need a knife. My face is the knife. Yo, there's a scene in the movie where this dude, I mean, because, you know, there's nonstop fighting in the bar. This dude that literally looks like weird Al Yankovic. Yes. Pulls a fucking switchblade out. I'm like, yo, the weird Al guy's got a knife. That's how crazy this bar is. <laughs> the dude in the Hawaiian fucking shirt is strapped. Straight up. Huge knife. And the cool thing about Ben Gazzara's character, Brad Wesley, I don't know if you noticed this moment when they go to his house. And this is, again, I have seen Roadhouse countless times. Yeah. This is the first time I noticed that he is wearing a pair of slouchy boots with his <laughs> jeans tucked in. This is the most terrifying man in town, P.S., he is wearing the slouchiest pair of like Ugg boots, like Ugg style boots with the jeans tucked in. And I have never noticed that before. And it looks absurd because he's not in a cold weather place. <laughs> he's got a slouchy, a villain in a slouchy boot. That's Roadhouse in a fucking nutshell. I hear you. And like, let me tell you something about the taxidermy in this dude's pad. <laughs> like... I talked about this, like me and my best friend April did when we were doing sort of details. We talked about this because her stepfather was also a huge taxidermy dude, Ugh. and it scares the shit out of me. Hate like it. I, I hate it too, but it's just also like the absurdity of like what a man wants to do with a dead animal to like prove that he killed it. It's so gross, and it's so out of place. Like it looks like a New Mexico mansion, but it's in like. I don't know. It's just very out of place. He's a menace to all of his neighbors. He is truly terrifying. And (laughs) he is the villain of the movie. And it all pops off at some point where, you know, we have to see Dalton kill a man by jamming his fingers in the guy's throat. Because Ben Gazzara's character is after him and it keeps getting worse. And he's like on this fucking mission to get Dalton. And it all pops off and to an astonishing degree. And I don't want to ruin any part of it. But there are so many reasons why this movie is, again, iconic for reasons that I cannot explain. It is does not hold up. It is not great. It is not great writing. It is not anyone's best acting. And yet it is fucking incredible. It's an amazing movie to watch. Uh, totally it is pure it's just such a weird artifact from like a time in our history like i don't even know what to say like it is absolutely straight guy camp and i i enjoy watching it as much as it is so like tasteless in a lot of ways i'm like i don't know like seeing Patrick Swayze rip a dude's throat out on a on a riverbank is somehow pleasurable. And I gotta like, I gotta admit that to myself. <laughs> Again, rest in peace, King. Patrick Swayze could do it all. He's like, I will do a fucking plie up your asshole and I will rip a guy's throat out. That's just who I am. He was truly incredible. Oh man. I mean, this shit was like post-Dirty Dancing. They even did a little like Otis Redding song in the villa with the romance, mm-hmm. the romantic lead, you know, it's like he can do it. Get you a man who can do it all, like 
I miss him. I miss him every damn day. Trust me. Absolutely. Gone too soon. True. Truly rest in peace. And um, this movie is wild. And I can't believe I just talked about it for as long as I did. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, go watch it. Go and enjoy it. Get into it. Get into the Jeff Healy moment. I love seeing Jeff Healy again. Oh, yeah. That Angel Eyes, it wasn't in the movie, but man, that was a middle school slow dance anthem. Ooh, that was the jam! Yeah. No, this is absolutely the number one wild bar movie for my, for my money. Like, you Thank picked you. the best. The best of the best, so. And I had a little Mandela effect moment with it, because for some reason in my memory, the bar itself was like in a swamp. Because <laughs> I blocked out the Tai Chi of it. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I thought the bar was in a swamp. Nope. That was just me remembering him doing Tai Chi and not knowing what Tai Chi was when I was 12. So just putting the bar there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for bearing with me. I did not know. I did not know I would have this much to say about anything I've talked about so far in this fucking episode. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it when he get this way. I came to this episode exhausted. I had no idea I was going to talk about any of this shit. Well, but now they, don't call, they don't call you the legend for nothing. I'll just say that. <laughs> I'm pumped and I'm pumped to talk about your movie, too. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, listen, this is talk about a cooler. This movie is the cooler for your movie, really. I mean, there's fighting and shit in this movie, but it's not a, it's not <laughs> nearly as plentiful as it was in your film. But your movie's going to bounce my movie. Uh, yeah, but just barely, just barely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so my film for the theme, What Happened Last Night, is a movie that was written by Aaron Latham, directed by James Bridges from 1980. It's called Urban Cowboy. You real cowboy? Well, it depends on what you think a real cowboy is. Now, okay, so I, I've seen this movie a few times, and I was telling people, like, over the course of the week like oh i got i'm watching urban cowboy and they're like is that the matt dillon movie no that's drugstore cowboy is that the movie about the male sex worker no that's midnight cowboy is that the movie where woody harrelson and Kiefer sutherland go to new york no that's the cowboy way and i can't believe anybody <laughs> knows that movie i can't believe how many people think urban cowboy is not the movie that it is absolutely absolutely um but Truly sending you a medal and a trophy for mentioning the cowboy way in 2022. <laughs> that got me. That's how you know you're a legend. You're a goddamn pro. <laughs> Thank you very much. I swear to God, you and one other person are the only two people who have ever, ever uttered the existence of that movie. We might have to talk about it. It's pretty bad. But um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm delighted to talk about Urban Cowboy because it's like this, it's like this perfect example of like, of this thing that we've talked about many times in the podcast, which is that it's like a movie that is a big, becomes this like flashpoint in pop culture. And then Hollywood scrambling to make a bunch of films almost exactly like it. Mm-hmm. And that's really what Urban Cowboy is, is that it just changed a lot of, in pop culture while still being sort of like, it's an, it's like an okay movie. I mean, it, it made money, but it wasn't this blockbuster, but the, the things that it did for like fashion and music and that kind of stuff 
was much, much more important, I think, yes. after everything was said and done. So the movie was based off this article that was written in Esquire magazine in the late 70s by Aaron Latham, who I think, you know, wrote the screenplay or at least co-wrote the screenplay with James Bridges. And I um, didn't know that. I never knew it was based on an article. Yeah. And um, the article was about this couple that met at this like crazy honky tonk right outside of Houston, Texas. And it was, I think the larger message of the article was sort of discussing the like the new cowboy and what that might look like. Right. And then a man came along after the article was published, a man named Irving Azoff. And he is the guy that manages the Eagles. Um, what? But he bought the rights to the article to make a movie about it. Okay. And because this episode really is about crazy bars, I have to talk a lot about Gillies, which is basically mm. the center of what this movie is about. And it's the center of what the original article is about, too. And it's so it was this actual bar named Gillies, and it was owned by these two guys. One was this like local sort of entrepreneur named Sherwood Cryer, which based on the research that I did about the film and about the bar, he seemed kind of more or less like this good old fashioned, like shady Southern business guy, like suspect, like M. Emmett Walsh and Blood Simple, just like this, like kind of, you know, guy carries a gun, but wears like suspender, big suspenders, you know, like, <laughs> but, it, but the Gillies was co-owned by him. And then this country singer named Mickey Gilly. Okay. Um. And this Gillies was this huge place, like thousands of square feet. It had like live bands and dancing and games. And it just was like this place where a lot of the locals would hang out, right? In town. And they would get wasted, party, fight, etc. So there's this documentary that I watched called, it was called Urban Cowboy, The Rise and Fall of Gillies. And so it was like really interesting because it talked about the bar and the people who hung out there and they call themselves Gilly rats. They were like, you know, basically people that just like lived at the bar. And there was a lot of them were actually in Urban Cowboy, the movie. So that was kind of cool. But um, the movie was based off of, like I said, this like real life couple who were patrons of Gillies. And those people were played by John Travolta and Deborah Winger. Okay. 80s royalty. Royalty. Now, look, truly, John Travolta in this era was pretty much royalty. He was a giant fucking star. Like, mm -hmm. late 70s, early 80s, you're talking, like, Grease, you're talking Saturday Night Fever. I mean, he was, like, a fucking superstar. He was, like, Brad Pitt, but not as realistic. I don't know. <laughs> He's not giving us the real, the real shit. And... You know, according to the documentary, you know, a lot of the locals were like, okay, John Travolta is going to come down to Texas and play this like working class guy, guy that works in the oil rigs. No, there's no way that this guy can nail this. But a lot of work went into making this film as authentic as they could. And mm -hmm. part of that was like, John Travolta and Deborah Winger were hanging out at Gillies and like with the locals before they started shooting. And I, I read somewhere that like Travolta listened to tapes of the screenplay 
that were being that was being spoken by people from Texas so he could get the accent right. Oh man. See, look. The fact that you did research already blows my movie out of the water. <laughs> the fact that you did research that is interesting and exciting. I should not have spoken in this episode at all, let alone go first. I'm so impressed by this. And I love learning these facts. I'm a fan of the show. I love learning facts about movies. <laughs> well, thank you. But I am somebody, as you said last episode, that read an oral history of St. Elmo's Fire. So that's just me. <laughs> you're the legend. I'm the one that reads the oral history of St. Elmo's Fire. So there you're we the, go. You're the cooler. I'm the bouncer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like so when all was said and done you know urban cowboy like i said at the beginning had this huge influence on culture it was like it kicked off basically this entire resurgence of country music um and fashion country fashion in like the 80s which you know it's like seeing the cowboy hats and the bolo ties and the prairie dresses that's so weird mm -hmm. because i remember being a kid and seeing you know, just like John Cryer from Pretty in Pink and a bolo tie at the prom. Yeah. And to know that, like, in some way, it was probably influenced by, like, what, you know, in the wake of sort of what Urban Cowboy do had done is crazy. Like, absolutely. I mean, look, there's a bolo ties all over my movie, influenced by this 100%. Yeah. And did you have a Holly Hobby doll? Uh, yes, of course, of course. I'm saying it here now. Holly Hobby, influenced by Urban <laughs> Cowboy. And I know you're going to come at me and be like, that bitch has existed since 1954. I don't care. <laughs> she wouldn't have sold as much as she did if Urban Cowboy hadn't come out. Listen, she was on the mechanical bullet gillies and you know it. Thank Stop you. Running. Holly um, Hobby had skills. <laughs> but I think most... For me, the the part that I love the most is that it created this whole sort of like pop country mm. movement because the soundtrack, the soundtrack was fucking huge, Ugh. huge when it came out. And it and it basically, you know, like the music from the um, from the movie and the people that were in the movie, like Mickey Gilly was in the movie. He ended up having this entire reinvigorated country career after the movie came out. And, you know, it's that thing where, like, Bonnie Raitt's in the film, Charlie Daniels is in the film, like, you mm -hmm. know, there's all, like, the guy that's saying, is it Johnny Lee looking for love in all the wrong places? Come on. Yes! Come on. Ugh. It's that, like, islands in the stream, looking for love and all the, like, that was, so. I, I remember that from childhood so yes. much. It was all over the radio. Dominated. Yeah. So um, I'll just give you some simple, real simple beats of Urban Cowboy. Okay, John Travolta plays this character named Bud Davis. He's just moved from his farm in rural Texas to the city, which is Houston, right? And he's working on this oil refinery or these oil rigs with his Uncle Bob, okay? And one night, Uncle Bob and his Aunt Corrine take him out to their favorite bar and it's Gillies. It's the bar Gillies and it's actually called Gillies. It's... It, it, is the character is the same, right? And the scene of them going into Gillies for the first time is one of my favorite favorite parts <laughs> of the movie. First of all, they walk in, there's guys punching each other right in the front door when they walk in. People are hollering, there's a band playing, people are dancing the two-step and getting drunk, and it's like crazy. Now, it's not roadhouse crazy, 
but it's, it's rowdy crazy. though it's rowdy it's rowdy for sure <laughs> and like i said by all accounts that was gilly's to a t it was rowdy as shit right and so bud's there he's there for fucking 10 minutes <laughs> and he ends the night in a damn threesome with jerry hall and her sister <sighs> inexplicable inexplicable yes. His first night in town and he's in a threesome. I mean, it's it's wild. And from so needless to say, he's a he's a gilly rat after this. And at some point he meets one of the regulars in the bar. Her name is Sissy. She's played by Deborah <laughs> Deborah Winger. And I have to I have to stop and talk about how I think Deborah Winger in Urban Cowboy is probably one of the hottest women to have ever lived. Totally. In my opinion, I like her look in this movie is fucking amazing. Like her tight wranglers and these like really tight, like spaghetti strap tops with no bra on. Yep. And she's got this like curly hair coming out of this cowboy hat. And I swear to God, if I could pull off that look at all, I would do it every day of my life. You can and you should start going to work like that. Uh, you don't want to see me in that tight of top. I'm just telling you right now, you don't want to see it. Um, and I and I can have body confidence and still say that at the same time. Absolutely. And look, she, in this film, I think part of the appeal is that she is, and this is on the heels of second wave feminism. Yeah. She is not taking shit from anybody. That's right. Yep. Her toughness is part of the allure. Yeah. And she, I mean, that's the thing. She's a... She's a firecracker, man, and she's got a sassy mouth, and she wants to do and try everything, and she doesn't want a man to tell her otherwise. And you know, here's the here's the dilemma, as you as you will probably figure out. So they meet they the they meet at the at Gillies. They end up two stepping and looking for love in all the wrong places, and it's over. Like from jump, they're hooked on each other, and they're also the kind of people who they're the kind of couple that gets into a fight in a diner one one night and then the next scene they're getting married exactly and have you ever known that couple uh-huh oh yeah <laughs> like in, your, in the in the in your 20s that's like every couple it is so bizarre to me because i've known that couple too and it's yeah. like after a while you have to step out of trying to help or be an ear or even be a friend because you're like oh this is what turns them on yes <laughs> there's like they love to wrestle. There is a reason for the season. Absolutely. And I'm just like, okay, well, don't try to, don't try to counsel these people at all. Just let them, let them figure it out. <laughs> and you hope they don't kill each other. That's all I have to say. But Oof. look, okay. So the wedding scene, the wedding photo scene is my favorite scene in this film so good. because they got these big eighties wedding dresses, like all the bridesmaids are in mint green. And then, you're like, they're taking photos and, and then you're like realizing, wait a minute, did they get married at Gillies? <laughs> <laughs> That's, they're taking photos there. They must've got married at Gillies. They got married at a bar. <sighs> um, so what's that? What, it's, it's wedded bliss for them. They buy a trailer and they move into a trailer together. And what ends up happening is that in order to cut down on some of the fighting at the bar, Gillies installs this mechanical bull, 
Okay. And the mechanical bull quickly becomes the center of everyone's drama in this film. Oh, it becomes the reason people fight. 100%. Okay. And so what ends up happening is this really scary-ass dude named Wes Hightower, who is played by the actor Scott Glenn. Okay. Mm -hmm. He comes to town after he's been released from prison. And he's essentially the man in black. He's literally wearing this like black mesh fetish gear top and this big black cowboy hat. And he has the entire place fucking shook. Absolutely. They know he was in the rodeo. He was in prison. He rode the rodeo in prison. And he can just really ride the mechanical bull. And he's just like this scary kind of violent dude. Okay. And again, legend, legend precedes him. The legend as we've talked about. So here's the thing. Bud is looking at this situation and because the the biggest issue is that Bud is cocky. He's young, you know, and he's like, fuck this guy. Actually, I'm going to be the star of this mechanical bull. <laughs> like I, he is a mess of like machismo and arrogance. And so he wants to fucking get this guy out of here. But the other thing too, is that he forbids Sissy from riding the bull, mm-hmm. which like we said, she wants to do it. She wants to try it. And it's, it's just total misogyny soaked bullshit, of course. But then, you know, it ends up turning on him because she finally does ride the bull. Cause she does what she wants. And it, she's aided by the man in black, West Hightower and Bud fucking loses a shit. They separate. I want to remind you at this point that they have been married for one week. Like a week, exactly. They've already separated after one week. And I mean, it is like they're both going home with other people. Sissy ends up like, you know, starting to date Wes Hightower. And then Bud meets this lady from, like he meets this lady at Gilly's one day named Pam. And she's this like fancy, like Rita Coolidge looking lady (laughs) from the big city. She's like a country country politan lady. (laughs) <laughs> a countrypolitan. <laughs> yeah, she's like a, a, a fancy country lady from the city. And so what ends up happening is that now they're separated, they're dating other people, and then it gets announced that there's going to be this $5,000 bull riding competition at Gillies. And look, I'm not going to deny that it is a little silly <laughs> that this entire movie fucking hinges on a mechanical bull and that people are like acting as if they're training for the Olympics trying to win this contest. Okay. Oh God. It's so funny. It's so funny. Have now listen, have you ever ridden a mechanical bull? Hell no. I have never. What? Okay. Y'all don't know me that well, (laughs) but I'm built like an orangutan. Basically I have long ass arms and short ass legs. I probably couldn't even wrap my legs around the mechanical bull. Like I'm, like, I'm sure, like, I'd go flying off that thing in five seconds. It is, it is harder than it looks, I will say. Again, Did you another- ride one? Are you telling me Fuck you yeah. rode one? Fuck yeah, I rode one in Tennessee. Another bar sword. <laughs> Holy shit. And it's goddamn harder than it looks. Yeah. And it is not fun to be thrown off of them. And watching this movie, I'm like, sissy actually can do it. Well, and like, there's a lot of like, um, a lot of conversation about the tips and tricks to a mechanical bull ride. And it's like, it's all thighs. You got to have the thighs and you got to be able to like squeeze and hold on and stuff. And I just don't think I'm built that way. (laughs) I, (laughs) 
Not a bull. I couldn't ride a bull, period. It's like a horse, maybe. Yeah, Give me a mechanical like a, a horse. mini horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a mechanical Budweiser horse and we can talk. Give me, uh, if there was a mechanical donkey, <laughs> I would maybe, a, a <laughs> mule, a pack team mule, I could maybe do that, but not a, not a bull. But look, I mean, obviously one of the most famous uh, scenes in the story is when Sissy gets on that mechanical bull and I told you she was hot, but she is white hot in that scene. Nobody was prepared. Nobody was ready for the moment. Yes. And according to the doc that I saw, basically the women at Gillies were like, oh yeah, we used to fucking do that shit all the time. And we had to teach Deborah Winger how to like fuck a mechanical bull, basically, which I think is amazing. Oh God. But, you know, so like I said, it so there's like this, it's almost like a sports drama about the mechanical bull, but then it's like, it, the movie is really more about Sissy and Bud and just this like, they're that couple, they're that tumultuous couple. And, you know, I, obviously the, I'm not going to give away the rest of the film, but it's like, they got to find their way back to each other. Let's get serious. They are badly yeah. paired with the crazy... West High Tower, scary dude, and the cu- country politician Pam. They gotta find their way back to each other. And I mean, like I said, this movie to me is like it is really like all ambiance, and it's like the music makes me nostalgic. I mean, look, I did not grow up with parents who would meet at a place like Gillies, <laughs> but I grew up in the South, and I will just tell you. You definitely knew people who were like grown up versions of Sissy and Bud. Like they, oh, totally. They were people's, like your friends' parents or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That still went down to like Elks Lodge and like got drunk and, you know, they've been married for like 25 years or whatever. And, and the thing about too growing up in the South is that you do, there was so much country music that's just like in the ether. Like even if you're not into country music, it's like you still know a couple things because you just yeah. just by nature of growing up here. And like, I mean, they used to play "The Devil Went Down to Georgia" at the fucking Braves game during the seventh inning stretch. Oh my god! Like we have an anthem, and it is this. I knew yes. the Devil Went Down to Georgia. I grew up in fucking New York in the country, and I knew Devil Went Down to Georgia. That's how much people played it. Oh, I know. And it's like, I mean, that part of the movie, too, where Charlie Daniels is like, <laughs> he, oh my God. he sets up the the scene, the bull riding competition scene. It's like, you know, people walking into the bar, getting their number for the contest. And then it's like Charlie Daniels doing his devil went down the Georgia speeches. And I'm like, <laughs> this song, it's this fraught. song is, oh, is, is forever present, you know? It is fucking fraught. And it is, it's just, it's, it's a really... I haven't seen this movie in a long time and I was surprised at how like it's it's violent in a way Roadhouse that Roadhouse isn't so it's like it's Roadhouse is like comically violent it's over the top violence Mm -hmm. and this violence is like couple violence and partner violence and like bar it's bar brawling but it's one-on-one brawling and it's like it's very it's very intense. It's a very physical film. And I forgot that. I forgot that it wasn't all just like bull riding and fun and dancing. It was like the actual narrative of the story was really intense. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, you know, a little bit of a trigger warning maybe about, you know, partner violence or whatever, but it's, it's that thing where like, I mean, there are times in the movie where you just are like, she's just being 
physically assaulted by the men in her life. Yeah. And as much as she is that like sort of like feminist character, the one that can't be told what to do, you know, that she she's going to do her own thing. I mean, it's like the men are so stuck in this like fucking toxic masculinity mode Mm -hmm. that they have to figure out a way to shut her down and it usually means beating her ass and that sucks i mean it's like sucks it's hard to watch you know especially the scene with her and and wes when you know he basically fucking she comes home and he is literally fucking a woman in the back room and then he's like make me some food like, he's like, listen, you sign up for this. I can't be faithful to one woman. Make me dinner. Mm. And she's just like, fuck you. And he's just like slamming, her, grabbing her hair and, and throwing her around the kitchen. And it's just rough. It's just really rough. And it's, it's um, also, it's a reminder too that like, you know, not to bring everybody down, but it was a reminder in a way that I needed to see that like, she was not a character who would ever call herself a feminist, even though she absolutely was one. Yeah. And you're reminded of like, women just actually standing up for themselves and saying, this is what I want to do was not always, it's not easy now. And it certainly wasn't easy then. And it's always comes with some bullshit. And it comes from these men who simultaneously desire you and want to squash you so that you will stay with them or that yeah. you will be with them. And so it's really, I don't know. I just really, I, I looked at this character a little bit differently than I have in the past and yeah. um, just saw something in her that was so defiant. And I, I liked seeing that because she's living in hell. Like she's just, and again, this is a world where $5,000 would alter her life permanently like it would change so much shit for her and again don't want to give away the ending much like millie but like there's something just very interesting about where the movie ends up and how you can see the story continuing beyond where they end the movie yeah and yeah i mean the documentary you know interviews the real couple that the movie was based on and i'll just say they ain't together anymore Mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean whatever but it's that thing where i'm like yeah i mean it's obviously really complicated because it's hard to um sit in the space where you're watching that part of the movie but then you also get so much joy from that sort of like the fashion and the music yeah. and the kind of like the vibe of it because there is that little like darkness to it too but it is joyful because i think then watching her claim her life becomes more joyful to me where it's like oh she's going through all this shit but she's not willing to rest in that and just like take it she's like still gonna fight for hers so there is something yeah there is like a layer of defiance that i really like and i noticed this time around that i really picked up on and it's just it is definitely it's a it's more of a slice of life cultural movie than roadhouse is for sure like roadhouse isn't saying anything about anybody pure camp right pure camp pure chaos but i like that urban cowboy is talking about like a slice of life it's like a place like a real place and real people and they put the effort into talking about real people um and a real moment and i think that it's cool that it became like a cultural phenomenon and you know again influence like you said i completely agree influence so much of culture then and now Absolutely. And, you know, if you want to track down this documentary, I think it was originally made by CMT, the uh, country music television, that's the network. But it was on Amazon to rent. So, you know, 
um, it's available. I mean, to me, it's like it just kind of gives you a little bit more information about the bar. Uh, and in the bar, and Gilly's got burned down. That's like a whole other. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery. It might be like a true <gasps> crime, if you know what I mean. But it's that they it got burned down, and then like, but then they they still sell like Gilly's merch. Like if you <gasps> like, there's merch you can buy a Gilly shirt online. It's like it's like this phenomenon, even though it's not a place where people can go anymore. But like. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the bar and the bull are the kind of stars of the film, to (laughs) be honest, right? The iconic moments, the iconic moments in this movie are the bar and the bull for sure. Right. And that's that's what I think I love most about these two movies together is that they're like wild bar movies. But like, it's that thing where like, it's the the, it's almost like taking a physical space and it's a it becomes a character in the film. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. it's like the double deuce Gillies. It's like a character in the film. So I love, I love this so much. This is truly the wildest episode we've done in a long time. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> As you know, I don't do drugs. I feel like I've been on drugs the whole time. <laughs> I don't know what I said. We will listen back, and y'all, I know y'all will tell me what I said. Listen, but it was fun. It's the end of summer. We went out with a fucking bang. Had to go out with a hot one. Had to go out with a hot one. So listen, we do not have an episode next week. We have a bonus episode coming out on September 8th. So look out for that. Um, But Danielle, do you want to give the movies for the next main feed episode? I will. This And this is for our next episode that comes out on September 13th. And our films are... Ordinary People from 1980 and A Clockwork Orange from 1971. Good Lord, help us. Good luck with that one. <laughs> I can't even imagine watching those two movies together. What's going to happen? <laughs> oh, not only imagine it, you about to live it. <laughs> so get into that shit. We did this to ourselves. We certainly did. So if you want to email us, as always, we're at I saw what you did pot at gmail.com. Please send us uh, letters for the bonus episodes. Fuck, Mary kills stories about your movie experiences, awkwardly watching films with uh, people in the double deuce. Maybe there's a movie night there at the double deuce you want to talk about. But like, listen, we love letters. So send them over to our Gmail. And send us your questions because we might have someone cool read them. We have a guest read them out. Hell yeah. Um, And until then, you know, we have a P.O. box if you want to send us handwritten letters. And you can find us on our social media at ISawPod on Instagram and Twitter. And our P.O. box is listed in our link tree on Instagram. And, you know, why don't you go ahead and tell some friends to follow us? Uh, Why don't you leave us a review? You, dear listener, who have been with us since the beginning, just throw us five stars. And a a St. Elmo's Fire. (laughs) Just write St. Elmo's Fire. And give us a five-star review. That's all. I will truly fucking croak if someone leaves a five-star review that just says St. Elmo's Fire. Keep them guessing, folks. Keep them guessing. (sighs) Well, listen, Danielle, as always, the legend. It's been a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. The bouncer, the cooler. It's always a fucking blast. I love it. Thank you so much for humoring me as I truly lost my mind during this episode. You are very welcome, Miho. Miho, you're welcome, Miho. It's-
so filthy. Goodbye. <laughs>been an exactly right production produced and mixed by casey o'brien our theme song is by tom bryfogle artwork by garrett ross our executive producers are georgia hardstart karen kilgariff and daniel kramer you can follow us on instagram and twitter at i saw pod and you can email us at i saw what you did pod at gmail Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.